Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. Family, we're, we're, we're wrapping up our, our Bible series today. And, you know, the Bible, that book, that's more than just a book. We've had enough conversations on that, probably more conversation than likely you've ever had about that book. But we did all those for a reason. The reason was that the Bible, the Bible is that key, that essential pile. It's that linchpin that really makes a Christian's foundation be all that it can be. Of course, we admit that reading the Bible isn't the only way for you to learn about our faith. You can also, in addition to reading the Bible, we can just experience God. As a matter of fact, turn to Ephesians chapter 3 in the Amplified Classic, starting in verse 16. We don't have to just read the Bible to experience God and his kingdom. Another pathway is just experience. Here, Paul is going to encourage us to have such an experience with Christ. Starting in verse 16. May he grant you out of the rich treasury of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit, himself indwelling your innermost being and personality. May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God devoted people, the, ex the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. So there's, there's some things that you can experience that take you beyond what you can just read. Amen. That you may be filled through all your being until all the fullness of God may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Spiritual interactions aside, though, when you have the Bible in front of you, I can say that a large part, if not the bulk, of what we learn about our faith comes from what we read in the Bible. A Christian that has a conviction that the Bible is reliable, that person has confidence in what they read. A Christian that has a conviction that the Bible is the truth, that person believes what they read. A Christian that has a conviction that the Bible is divine has, well, they just have respect for its words. A Christian that has a persuasion that the Bible is the word of God that Christian has something that anchors their faith. The Christian has something 
that anchors their faith, and that should be reason enough for the believer to make the Bible an essential part of their life. It's a simple connection. It's not complicated. It goes like this. As a believer, you want to have strong faith. The Bible can help you anchor your faith. Therefore, you make the Bible an essential part of your life. It's not a complicated connection, but you know what it is? Even though it's simple, it's a very important connection. Why is it a very important connection? It's an important connection because, say this with me, faith, faith is, is not a game. Your faith and the application of it in this life is not a game. Faith is far from a game. It's far from a game, but unfortunately, many believers take it as one. They dress the part. They talk the part. They act the part. In other words, they play the role. Here's the unfortunate part for them, though. When challenges come your way, when trials and temptations and all that stuff come your way, they don't test who you claim to be. Tests and trials and challenges, they test who you are. And when the smoke clears, the bottom line is you either standing or you not. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But it's true. I heard somebody say it, but it's true. You know what, though? The Bible says something that's at least twice as harsh as that. If you would, and we're going to read this together. Turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. The Bible makes a bold statement. And we're going to read that together because it's so in your face. We might as well read it together. Proverbs 24, verse 10, Message Bible. That's the Amplified Classic. There we go. Ready? Let's read that together. Go. If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. When the smoke clears, you either stand or you're not. When the smoke clears, you are either champion or you're not. When the smoke clears, you are either the victor or you're not. If you fall apart in the midst of a crisis, there wasn't much to you to begin with. Faith is not a game. It's not a game. You are in the midst of life. And you must make sure that your faith is real. You want a, you want a reason why you should make your faith real? Let me tell you, here's a reason for you. I don't know if you got the menu, the memo. I'm going to say menu, thinking about food. I don't know if you got the, the memo, but the memo reads this way. Life ain't playing with you. Life ain't playing with you. The devil, guess what? Not playing with you. Not playing with you at all. Turn to Ephesians 6 for me. Amplified classic. Starting in verse 10. Being rooted in faith must be our top priority. 
Because when the storms are raging and things are coming against you, it's your faith that's going to help you stand. Ephesians chapter 6, Amplified Classic, starting in verse 10, reads this way. Paul's talking. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boldness, which is boundless, might Thank you for that. That strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavenly armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling, wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents. I always like to stop there. Because... When you read that in the King James, it just says, we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood. But the Amplified makes it clear, you don't just wrestle against flesh, against flesh and blood only. So you have spiritual things that you have that come against you, but you also have physical things that come against you. For we wrestle not, for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the rulers, the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in place, stand therefore Hold your ground. Certainly there are a whole bunch of negative situations, circumstances, and all of that jazz that can come against you. It's, it's, it's a whole list of them that can come. You can call them a situation. You can call them a, a challenge. You can call them an adversity. Whatever you want to call them. But here's the point. Our desire is for when the challenge comes your way that you be strong and stand, not be weak and fold under the pressure. When the trial comes your way, when the challenge comes your way, in order for you to stand, in order for you to weather the storm, in order for you to reign victorious, your faith can't be fake. Your faith has to be true. Your faith has to be genuine. Your faith has to be legit. Your faith has to be something of substance. Your faith has to be something that is so rooted that when life is applying the pressure, your faith will be able to uphold you, stand you up strong, stand you up erect, when life is providing nothing but pressure on you, your faith needs to be able to hold you up when you have prayed what feels like it's your last prayer. When you have cried what it seems like it's your last cry. Hey, when you have gone down what seems like your last road. When you've come to the end of what seems like it's your last end of that rope, 
when you've gotten up for what you feel like is the absolute last time you can get up. Your faith needs to be able to stand you up. Your faith has to be real. It has to be real enough to where it can grab you. And if you feel like you can't go further, it can take your spirit and take your body and gird you up and tell you to stand firm and hold your ground. The faith you have must be absolutely sure and legit. Go back to Ephesians 6, this time in the King James Version, starting in verse 10. A lot of times we read this, uh, these words from Paul. And, you know, one should be careful when they read this, because if, if one isn't careful, you can get caught in all the words and the imagery, imagery that Paul is using to put together this whole armor of God. The reason I say be careful is that when he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God, and we'll read this in a second, he's going to say that the shield of faith is a part. And if we're not careful, we can begin to think that faith, looking at that alone, is just a part of our life as a Christian. Because he breaks it all up into different parts. But that's not the case. Let's read that real quick. Starting in verse 10, King James Version. This one will sound more familiar to those who, who grew up on King James. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I read that one better. I grew up on that. You see that? <laughs> That's my Baptist church upbringing right there. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, wickedness, wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having, the breast, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye will be able to quench all the fiery dots of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now check this out, family. I want you to know that Paul did his thing in breaking up all the various components of our Christian walk. But he really did that to give the reader an imagery of going into battle. He didn't do that, I believe, to have the reader assume that a believer has faith as part of this Christian walk. I contend that every aspect of that Christian armor is drenched in faith. The whole entire armor is coated with faith. Let's talk about that briefly. He starts off with this first one. Go back to verse 16 for me, guys. Actually, verse 14. The first one is having your loins girt about with truth. 
having your loins girt about with truth. Now, let me tell you something. Years and years ago, when I was a much younger man, you know, I got 51 years now. When I was a much younger man, <laughs> I, I used to read that and read that and read that and read that and be like, your loins girded up. Could they have not picked another word? Like, what exactly is girding up my loins? So I would go to different versions and different versions of the Bible, and they would give me words like tucked. But I'm still wasn't getting my gird. You know, I, what, is, what is this gird? What, what are you doing? So I got something for you. Of course, I have a slide. Let's look at that real quick. This is girding. You know, back in the day, they were like a tunic, Right? And so as you can see, how you gird up your loins is when you're getting ready to fight, you don't want nothing that anybody can tag on. You don't want to fall down. So they kind of tuck that thing between their legs and bring it through the back, and they take the ends together, and they tie it into a knot. So when they're getting ready to go to battle, they're, 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 they're girded. Now, that thing is girded up. It ain't going nowhere. That's exactly what you should be when it comes to your faith and the battle comes your way. Your faith in God is so wrapped up and buckled up around you that nothing can move you off of what you say you believe. That thing is girded up. Tell your neighbor, get your gird on. Get your gird on. What Paul is saying, Paul is communicating, listen, guys, you know the attack's going to come. You don't have to worry about that. So when the attack's going to come, you know that's going to come already. You need to be in position. You need to be in your stance. Look. The time to get ready for the trouble is not when the trouble is here. You need to stay ready. Paul is saying we should never get caught off guard. When the opposition shows up, the opposition should already find you so rooted in your faith that nothing the opposition does can move you. That's being girded up. And that's why that is already laced with faith. But to give scripture, go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 in the King James Version. Here the author is talking about persecutions that come because of your faith, because of your belief in God, because you are one of the way. And it says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by what? By faith. And if any man draw back, my soul has, shall have no pleasure in him. Go to James chapter 1. Verse 2 in the Message Bible. So you should never cast away your confidence, never cast away your faith. Always keep your loins, gird about you, 
Gird, about, gird truth around your loins. Gird it up. Here in James chapter 1, verse 2, the King James Version would read like, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This one says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and deficient, not deficient in any way. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 20, NIV Bible, starting in verse 1. Paul is saying when the battle comes your way, you stand in what you know to be true. You stay close to your God. You don't drop your faith because trouble comes because your faith is greater than the trouble. I love this in Deuteronomy 20. You know, the, the children of Israel exiting Egypt on their little trick trek to what should be to the promised land. Here's what Moses says. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, here, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. In other words, when the battle comes your way, you stay with your God. Back to Ephesians 6. The next one it was having on the breastplate of righteousness. Turn to Romans 3, starting in verse 21, NIV Bible. How do we connect righteousness with faith? It reads this way. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And it goes on and on there. So righteousness is connected to faith in Christ. What about your feet being shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace? Romans chapter five, starting in verse one, NIV Bible. Reads this way talking about the gospel of peace. Therefore, since we have been given, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So that is peace with God. Go to Philippians chapter four, verse six, NIV Bible. Let's talk about peace of God. It reads, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
The next thing in Ephesians 6, it said the shield of faith. Now, the shield of faith is actually already laced with faith. But to give you a scripture for faith, Hebrews 11, 6, 11, verse 6, and NIV Bible reads this way. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What about the helmet of salvation? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 in the NIV Bible. Scripturally intensive today. But I love the fact that you're taking notes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, NIV. Helmet of salvation. Let's see what it's all about. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. There you go. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What about the sword of the spirit? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. King James Bible. For the sword of the spirit. It reads this way. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What about prayer? He talks about praying always and with supplication in the spirit. Go to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. In the Amplified Classic. Starting in verse 22, it reads this way. And Jesus replying said to them, have faith in God constantly. Truly, I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him. For this reason, I'm telling you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe, trust and be confident that it is granted to you and you will get it. That's simply trusting in your prayers. Go to James chapter five, starting in verse 14. What about the prayer of faith? Now that's, that's, that's faith, what Jesus just said, but what about the prayer of, of faith specifically mentioned in the Bible? It says this, starting in verse 14, James chapter five, NIV. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, there you go, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, what about praying in the spirit, though? Go to Jude chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to bring this out of the Passion Version of the Bible. Talking about praying in the spirit, it reads, but, but you, my delightfully loved friends, constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the spirit. So a deeper examination of Ephesians 6 says that the whole armor of God is coated with faith. The whole armor is coated, which tells me you cannot get around it. Faith must be an essential part of every believer's life. If you are a Christian, 
and you say you have faith, then what you, sh what you are saying is that you have something in you that will help you stand no matter what the adversity is. And that's what we want to see out of you. That's what God wants to see out of us, that you will stand no matter what the adversity is. As a matter of fact, you should be able to stand when life is sending whatever life sends you and it has you under pressure. You should be able to stand persuaded. You should be able to stand persuaded that God will never leave you. You should be standing persuaded that God will never forsake you. You should be standing persuaded that the blood of Jesus is enough. You should be standing persuaded that the Holy Spirit is there to be your perfect helper. You should be persuaded that through Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. You should be persuaded that through Jesus, you are an overcomer. You should be persuaded. You should be persuaded, but I have to ask you, what physical source do we have readily available to us that moves us leaps and bounds into being so persuaded? You already know the answer. You know what it is. It's the B-I-B-L-E. It's the Bible. It's the good book. It's the word of God. That's what we have in our possession to help us be so persuaded because it tells us all we need to know about the kingdom of God and everything that's offered to us. That's why the Bible is so important. That's why it is an essential part of a, of a Christian's foundation. It is that thing that underpins our faith. Say this with me. The Bible means so much, means so much in, this in this Christian walk that it's time, that it's time for, us for us to embrace it, to embrace it in, a in a very personal way. All right, listen, I know it's been a long time since I've told you a Smith story. But I got a Smith story for you. Now, this one is this one is this one is this one is serious, though. It's, it, it's serious. Now, check this out. I want to show you something. Bring up my slide of my, of my sweethearts, guys. Family, I have, I have two granddaughters. I have two granddaughters. That's not, a big, that's not news to you. Most of you know that. The oldest one is Zuhaley. The younger one is Morelsi. I adore them. As any grandpa would, well, if any grandpa should. I can't talk about other grandpas. I love my grandbabies. I have two of them. Now, their personalities differ. And their personalities differ in ways that you just have to know them to understand. Well, I'm going to tell you a story. These children were over to my house one day. They were over to our house one day. And, and I'm going to tell you, before I start this now, I, I'm, I love both my grandbabies. I know I said that, but I'm getting ready to talk about Morelsi, so I want y'all to know that I, 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 I love them. But now, 
Zuhaili, in general, gravitates to Greta. Morelsi, dare I say the wiser one, gravitates to me. <laughs> All right, just fan, just fan, just fan, just fan, just fan. Right, right? Uh, but here's the, here's the story. Here's the story. I'm sitting down, and as I'm sitting down, of course, as you would expect, Morel C is with me. The younger one's with me. She's sitting on my lap. As she's sitting on my lap, those of you who have children or have been around children, you know what happens. When one sees one getting some kind of attention, the other one wants to come over and get some of that attention too. So here comes Zuhaili. Now, Zuhaili comes over and she begins to motion as if she's going to get on my lap too. So I kind of shift around so I can put Morelsi on one leg and make space for Zuhaili. Morelsi looks at Zuhaili and she says sternly, My grandpa. Now, I don't want you to miss that. She says, my grandpa. Zuhaili, being more of just kind of joyful in her personality, just, just kind of brushes that off, and she continues to try to get on my lap. At which point, Morelsi, in addition to lashing out, throwing hands, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> she did it in a combination with saying, no, my grandpa. I didn't, I, I let her know, Morelsi, you know, I don't approve of, the, of what you did. I don't approve of the way you lashed out. That's not what we do. We don't hit. We don't, that's not what we use our hands for. But to be honest, <laughs> to be 100% transparent with you, there is something there was just something about the way she said, my grandpa, that struck a chord in me. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Family, there is something about the way that she said it. It's something about the way she was willing to defend their relationship. It was something about the way that she absolutely refused to let anything or anybody come between her and what her heart had deemed was 100% hers. It was like she was saying from the bottom of my heart, I am my grandpa's and my grandpa is mine. Why do I share that story with you? I share that story with you because when your heart finds something special and it calls it mine, you have no other option than to put the word my in front of it. You have to possess it. You have no other choice. Your relationship with it all of a sudden gets really, really personal. When your heart calls something mine, 
you have to put the word my in front of it. You have to put the word my in front of it because you know what? You cannot live without it because to your heart, living without it is not an option. When your heart calls something mine, it becomes something of an inseparable component in your world. Family, what I'm telling you is that should be the relationship between your heart and the Bible. It should be to the point to where you say about your Bible. Essentially, I am my Bible. And my Bible is mine. Look, you know how I feel about the Bible. I don't have to give you much more information about the fact that I'm passionate about it. To run down a few I can tell you that the Bible helps me with my entire life. And don't get me wrong, you know, the Bible, it can indeed make me smarter. But I'm not passionate about my Bible just because it can make me smarter. It can make me wiser. But I'm not passionate about my Bible just because it can make me wiser. I'm passionate about my Bible, not just because it can help me be a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better brother, a better pastor. That's not just the reason why I'm passionate about my Bible. I'm passionate about my Bible because my Bible is life to me. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible itself talks to me about a God that wants to be God to me. It talks to me about a savior that wants to save me. It talks to me about a Holy Spirit that wants to lead and guide me into all truth. The Bible makes everything about me a better me. The Bible helps make me so many, so many better, helps make so many things about me better. Therefore, the Bible is not just the Bible to me. It's not. I am so passionate about the Bible that I have to replace the the with my and call that thing my Bible. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, NIV Bible. I have to possess it. I can't just call it the Bible. I got to call it my Bible. And you know what my Bible tells me? My Bible tells me that every scripture, all scripture is God breathed. It reads this way. NIV Bible, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every 
good work. Go back to verse 16. Verse 16 reads, all scripture is God breathed. Let's talk about that for a second. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God created man from the dust of the earth. And then it said God breathed in his nostrils and man became a living being. The breath of God gives life. And when it comes to my Bible, every scripture that I lead, that I read, breathes life into me. Notice this. It also says, not only is all scripture God breathed, it says it is also what? Useful. All scripture is God breathed and that scripture is also useful. My relationship with my Bible has me reap the benefits of that youth usefulness. That's why my Bible is so personal to me. Why is it useful? Because through my Bible, God teaches me. Through my Bible, he trains me. And of course, he also rebukes and he corrects me. But I'm, I'm OK with that. Why? Because he only does that because he loves me. Hey, but how do I know he loves me? The Bible tells me so. As a matter of fact. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Message Bible, starting in verse 5. How do I know when God rebukes and corrects me that it's out of love? It says it right here. The author of Hebrews, starting in chapter 12, verse 5, Message Bible says this. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children? And that God regards you as his children. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline and don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience for children only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? Of course, my answer to that is no. God, don't leave me to fend for myself. Keep on loving me. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Why are you so passionate about your Bible, Benjamin? Well, in Matthew 4, verse 4, you know, Jesus is being tempted by the devil. The devil is giving him the business, trying to get him to move off of his faith, move off of what he knows to be true. And Jesus says, Chad says this statement, a statement that I absolutely love. 
he says this, devil, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Family, I do not read and study my Bible to teach. I read and study my Bible to live. I am passionate about my Bible because through my Bible, I live. The Bible is the living word of God. Say that with, say that with me. The Bible is the living word of God. Now, I can go on and on and on and talk about how I feel about my Bible, but I'm really interested in how you feel about the Bible. That's the bottom line to all of this. As far as me and my Bible, that's a settled deal. What about you and the Bible? What is your relationship with the Bible? I'm settled that the Bible is truly a divine work. You see, you can pick the Bible up today and it'll be just as applicable to your life as it was yesterday. You can pick it up tomorrow and it'll be just as applicable as it was today. The Bible is as valuable to you in your teen years as it is in your 20s. The Bible is as valuable to you in your 30s as in your 60s. Age doesn't matter. Whether you're married or single, the Bible is still good to you, good for you. It's applicable. It doesn't matter. Married or single, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're confident or scared and confused, it doesn't matter. The Bible is applicable to you. The Bible is applicable and it contains insights to aid you in your present and your future circumstances. The only question is, what's your relationship with it? I pray, I pray, I pray that your relationship becomes like mine. As a matter of fact, let me scratch that. I pray your relationship is already like mine. But if it's not, all you need to know is the only thing that you need to do to change that relationship today is to make a decision to make the Bible something your heart deems is mine. It's just a decision you have to make. You're only a decision away from making the Bible an essential, an essential part of your life. Now, most of you have probably heard a confession. A confession that says this. It starts off with the words, this is my Bible. You ever heard that confession? Well, I'm, I'm going to share a confession with you. And it's a confession that given that we are coming to the end of our Bible series, that I think it's a very appropriate time for me to share this with you now. It's a confession that kind of bundles up a lot of the key elements that we've talked about in this series. I'm going to first 
read it to you, and then we're going to read it together. The confession is called, this is my Bible. It says, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's say that together. Can you all see that? Ready? Read. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. That's your confession. That's your position. It should be to the point to where you allow nothing to come between what you know your Bible means to you and the simple fact that your heart has deemed that the Bible is mine. When you look at your Bible, whether it's paper or electronic, it should no longer simply be the Bible. Instead, even if you say it silently to yourself, you should be saying in your heart that this is what? My Bible. I'll see y'all next week. Let's pray. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.